This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hi, I'm Greg Watson, and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters, where we talk all things property, a little bit of news here about the market, which is crazy. The market's not crazy, just the news is crazy, but I'll explain a little bit about that soon. As well as that, we've got some local news, we've got national, and even a bit of international news around how things are going with COVID-19, housing market, etc. So let's start with the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand report for May. So the stats have just come out hot off the press yesterday showing that May showed some signs of recovery but the COVID tail still impacting the property market. Now I must say, huge disclaimer, the statistics are crazy. They're crazy and the reason that they're crazy is because there's been a big volume change because of COVID. So the number of properties sold in May compared to last May was only around half as many. So this does funny things to statistics when the numbers get a bit smaller. So I'm not going to dwell too much on some of these statistics with regards to the crazy numbers, but here's some that are a bit less crazy and more indicative of the market. I like to look at the national median house price year on year, and it's actually up 6.9%. Uh, from 580,000 to 620,000 over a year. And if we remove Auckland from the equation and just concentrate on the rest of New Zealand, the median house price is 535,000, up almost 10% from 489,000 this time last year. I could tell you all about the sales volumes and those sorts of things, but really that's the stuff that COVID has really messed with. But there were still a few regions that got record median prices when compared to the same time last year. So to take slightly with a grain of salt, but here they are. Waikato, 9.5% increase. Median house price now 598000 Taranaki, almost 17% increase year on year to 426000 And Tasman, almost 20% increase up to 701500 for the median house price. So basically, prices up Compared to this time last year, across all regions in the country, the exception being Gisborne, which is probably a statistical anomaly, uh, but some of the figures in the other areas are Northland is performing well, 14%, Manawatu, Wanganui, right here at home, almost 19% year on year. So stunning changes there. I'm just moving past the crazy stuff, the 400% sales volumes increases and things like that when compared to April. And let's just move on to some comments by Bindi Norwell, who is the CEO of the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand. Now, she uh, is mentioning these comments specifically about Manawatu Wanganui. She says, in May, the Manawatu Wanganui region saw median prices increase 18.9% to 415000 And additionally, the Tararua district achieved a new record median price of 300000 That's a $4,000 lift from the previous record in January. 
Here's some of the important bits that she says. She says the Manawatu Wanganui appears to be the region least affected from a sales count perspective, with sales down almost 40% year on year. Many first home buyers have returned to the market to the post uh, post lockdown, and they have had to check with their banks and lending institutions that they still qualify for finance. Banks have actually tightened their approval process for finance, with some taking longer approvals and many insisting on registered valuations and a lot more employment details to assess applicants' job security. Attendance at open homes has been very good in the last few weeks, with an average of 10 groups per open home. Vendors are hoping that the market retains the prices prior to lockdown, which at this stage appears to be the case. Many properties are attracting multiple offers in the first week that it's on the market, and it's difficult to predict how the market will perform in the coming months. However, it's expected to remain steady. So that's from the CEO of the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand, Bindi Norwell. So uh, that's a pretty positive outlook considering uh, some of the areas that are, that are badly affected by COVID-19. So what's been happening with regards to the median prices in some other areas just nearby, Horofinua? $390,000, that's up 16%. Manawatu District is up 10%, that's the Manawatu but outside the main centres. Palmas North City up, if we just do a little bit of rounding here, 16%. So the median house price in Palmas North, 485000 for May. Ruapehu up 16%. Wanganui District up 10.7% to $310,000 median. Now, Wanganui's been performing a lot better than that, actually, and so this could be a bit of a statistical anomaly. We'll just have to keep an eye on that as time goes on. So we'll be back to normal with the stats, hopefully, or the new normal next month. But for the time being, I've just summarised some of those that are more relevant. So moving to some local news now. As many of you know, there's a heck of a lot of projects happening in Manawatu at the moment, in Manawatu, Wanganui. And this is just an article about one of them, which is about the arena upgrade, Manawatu Arena upgrade. It says the plans to embed arena's stories in its makeover have been revealed, and this is pretty much hot off the press. There's a really cool couple of diagrams of the new entrance, or diagrams, probably, what would you call them? Artists' impressions of the new entrance to the Palmas North Central Energy Trust Arena, which are on this stuff article. This is in the Manawatu Standard part. And the new entrance leads visitors to a pedestrian bridge crossing to the central stadium. So what are they incorporating? The Māori art of weaving a cloak, or kākahu, has provided inspiration for the design of Palmas North's Central Energy Trust Arena redevelopment. They've released a series of images showing how the site's culture and history will be bound into the elements of the makeover. So work started as soon as COVID-19 restrictions eased. You may have noticed that. It's got all the Humphreys construction uh, signs around the outside. And it's a $17 million construction, including the new entrance plaza, footbridge into the stadium, speedway pits and embankment. Man, it's going to be cool. I can't wait to see it. Just being able to walk over those pits and just look down and see what they're doing. I mean, it keeps people safe, but it's also really interesting. Should be really good. Council Venues General Manager Sasha Haskell said the approach had been to make the cultural elements an integral or integral, integral? How do you, yeah, integral. Oh, we'll go with integral, an integral part of the design. Design elements can often be added as an afterthought to construction or added without a clear purpose in mind, but she says we wanted to make the design thinking occurring in the construction process itself. 
Rangatane Master Carver Warren Warbrick has been the cultural advisor for the project and he based his advice on the Māori proverb, he ahotangata, the threads that bind us, providing a way to link various strands of the site's history and current use under a mantle of peace. So pretty cool, really. If you get a chance to have a look at this, uh, just so you know, the bridge that goes over is not a small bridge. It's eight metres wide, and that's pretty cool. And you get a, you get a, a really good view of that. And, um, and then, it, then the, there'll be illuminated images on the bridge conveying the history of the site and recalling the words of personalities closely connected to the venue. And then on other occasions, images can change, for example, to display poppies for Anzac Day or racing cars uh, for Speedway. So it's pretty exciting that, that all of that is, is happening there. Um, time frame, not quite sure for the completion. And uh, But in a further twist on the functional planning for the venue, the Speedway pits have been designed so that when they're not in use, the large green space and a running track alongside it will be available for other recreational use. So it's quite good that they think about other ways of using the space. So it's, got to, it's good to see these projects going ahead, and that means jobs and um, money coming into the economy. I don't know if you've driven down Rangatiki Street lately, if you were heading towards the bridge over to Cloverley and Milson on the right-hand side, you might notice the Turretia wind turbines that are being stored there, the blades of the turbines. They are massive. would make a really good selfie or, or something like that to put on social media. And uh, just letting you know, in case you wanted to do that, standing there with dozens and dozens of these huge turbines. And that's a big project that's happening at the moment, the Turretia wind farm. That's a really good one for the economy as well. All right, post-COVID, a uh, little bit of news here. This is from the homed section of stuff.co.nz, and the headline is Time to End Rent and Eviction Freeze, Real Estate Institute Says. So this is from uh, originally from Radio New Zealand, but the COVID-19 is putting further pressures on some cities already struggling with squeezed rental property markets. It's time for the government to lift restrictions on the rental market Imposed because of COVID-19, the Real Estate Institute says on March the 24th, before New Zealand went into Level 4 lockdown, the government announced emergency changes to protect tenants. Rents were frozen for the initial six months until September the 25th. Tenancies could not be ended except in, in, in exceptional circumstances until at least June the 25th. So tenants who had received or given notice to end their tenancies could stay in their rental properties. So Real Estate Institute Chief Executive Bindi Norwell said that it's important to protect tenants from rental increases and ensure no one was left homeless during lockdown, but she says the situation has now moved on dramatically. In her view, with no active cases of COVID-19 in the country and 20 days in a row of no new cases, therefore we would argue that the emergency legislation has served its purpose and should be ended immediately, or by the latest June 26, which was the end of the initial three-month period. Now the legislation is doing more harm than good and a number of negative stories have been appearing in the media to this effect. Additionally, we've had examples from our members where tenants are seriously in arrears with rent and unlike landlords have the protections the emergency legislation has provided them. Uh, delays in securing a tenancy tribunal are only tribunal hearing are only exacerbating the situation. One recent example was a landlord who's selling their property due to financial hardship and the purchase of the property required vacant settlement. However, the owner has been unable to provide this due to the emergency legislation. 
So the owner is having to pay penalties in the region of $20,000 until they can provide a rent vacant property to the purchaser. The mortgage holiday scheme does not cover these sorts of issues and the entire process is costing them financially and adding to stress and well-being. So you hear some of these negative stories coming into the media. Uh, there was another one who, another story about a couple who had lost their jobs because of COVID and couldn't afford a rental property and were stuck in a property without heating or a shower because they could not ask their tenants to leave. So we appreciate, Bindi Norwell says, that it may have been difficult for the government to have foreseen the extent of the negative impact on the emergency legislation on landlords and tenants when it was first implemented. However, the consequences have now become clear in the past weeks, which is why the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand is calling on the government to bring those emergency provisions to an end immediately. So certainly in my line of work and in property management, I've seen tenants who are um, allowing themselves to go um, significantly behind in rent and they cannot be moved on at the stage while the owner suffers financially. It's, uh, it's pretty difficult stuff. The rent increase uh, freeze, just for those who are interested, applies for an initial period of six months, from March 26th to September 25th. At the end of that period, the government will evaluate whether rent freezes need to be extended. So that'll be interesting to see what's, uh, what happens there. Just so you know, if you were aiming for September and you were giving 60 days notice, uh, end of September, you can count that back to, I'm trying to do it backwards, uh, to around about July the 26th, you could give uh, your tenants a 60-day notice of a rent increase. If the government then came along and said, sorry, those are void, well, so be it. But if you were wanting to increase rents, that's how you could go about it, sometime after July the 25th to give the 60 days notice. Here's another article from Palmerston North. Palmerston North City Council plans a deficit to keep the rates rise down. So the planning to spend more than it receives next financial year as it pegs the rates increase back to less than 2%. That's interesting because the council faced a groundswell of opinion that the earlier proposed 4.4% increase was far too much given the economic fallout for COVID-19 restrictions. This is interesting because we've got a major and massive wastewater project that's uh, fairly urgent for the city, so so collecting less in is a real concern. So this proposal of, of bringing it back to less than 2% gave the staff the final chore of finding the last minute over half a million dollars in savings to achieve 1.95% increase. That challenge was actually made a little easier from the move to level one, which meant revenue from venues, building consents and environmental health might recover sooner than anticipated. But the government, uh, the council was... Also moving away from its usual goal to balance the books, planning to run up a $3.94 million budget deficit during the year. The councillors are recommending the full council later this month passes a resolution that running up as a deficit is financially prudent. We are in unusual times, so that's understandable. And Mayor Grant Smith said the lower rates rise was a balance between keeping the city moving and showing empathy for those in the community who were hurting. He's optimistic the city's economy will bounce back, but there would be some real challenges. And he agreed that budgeting to have a deficit was not ideal. Uh, there were some councillors who were concerned that that change was too much, but nevertheless it's gone through. And for the median home with a land value of 230000 the new annual rates bill will be about an extra $30 a year dearer.
So it's not high finances, but it all does add up, and it's nice for, for them to, to do so. So just in general market news now, Kiwi Bank has cut interest rates. Now why is that newsworthy? It's because they've slashed the floating interest rates, not the fixed ones, uh, the floating interest rates by 1% for home and business borrowers. Now 1% in certain contexts sounds small. 1% in this context though is huge in terms of what it can affect for your family budget or business budget. So the floating or variable and offset mortgage rates are set to drop from 4.4% to 3.4% and its revolving home loan rate will drop from 445 to 3.45%. And for business borrowers, the floating rate for loan secured against property will drop to 3.9% for business floating loans um, to and for business floating loans to 5.5%. So really uh, great stuff there and what will happen will be interesting to see if the other banks will follow. Maybe by the time the show airs they may have started to do so. The Kiwi Bank Chief Executive Steve Zhurkovich said that as a result of the rate drops over 35,000 customers will save $20 million. And pricing floating and fixed rate, rates together uh, gives borrowers more options. So it's really interesting to see that those rates are very, very similar indeed. So we're just going to go to some music now. I'm feeling in a, a fairly relaxed mood. We're going to put on a little bit of Bob Marley and the Whalers with Stir It Up.
that was Bob Miley and the Whalers with Stir It Up. You're here on Property Matters with Greg Watson. Great to have your company. We're just going to go back through to some of the news now uh, from the region. And we're looking here, or I'm looking here, at an article with regards to the Horafanua region where they've applied for $144 million to complete shovel-ready projects, which are some of these, the term that the government is, is liking to to have at the moment just to get people underway. And what's what are these shovel-ready projects? Well, roading and infrastructure projects are on the wish list. Uh, the District Council um, has applied for 10 projects that are identified as ready to go and planning was already underway to roll out the projects in the next two decades. So they're just bringing some of these forwards. It's got a strong increase on housing supply, which I think is very critical considering the roading coming north from Wellington, building strong and resilient neighbourhoods and quality infrastructure. So with the financial assistance from the government, uh, they can bring the projects forward to inject jobs and revenue into the construction industry and unlock those benefits earlier in the community. So this is things like the project of realigning Gladstone Road with the new uh, road and bridges to avoid further closures from land slips, new infrastructure to support the Gladstone Green Growth Area, including new access road, water, wastewater and stormwater services. Upgrades of the key arterial access roads in Navin to accommodate growth was a priority, as was creating the new civil infrastructure to support social and affordable housing developments. There's a dredging of the Manutu River Loop, which is important, and constructing the boardwalks, parks and scenic paths that were also on the list. So it's quite good that the government has come out with some of these uh, funds to provide shovel-ready so that they can just keep New Zealand working, keep the income coming in and keep things being uh, spent in the regions where the work is being done. So that's really, uh, we'll see how that one goes. Uh, Another news, the Overseas Investment Office has granted a green light for a billion dollar Queenstown development, uh, which is mainly funded through an Australian company, and that's a 10-year billion dollar retail, hotel and residential development on Queenstown's lake shores. So that's uh, got through the... um, consent process with regards to the Overseas Investment Office. So it'll be interesting to see that one going up. And finally, just in terms of a repeat story uh, from something I talked about recently, global interest in $40 million Auckland super penthouse. So the Pacifica super penthouse in Auckland is listed for $40 million and has attracted plenty of post-lockdown interest from overseas. New Zealand's zero COVID-19 status sends a strong message to foreign buyers that this country really is a safe haven, says the agent marketing the most expensive apartment ever to be listed in this country. Jason Gaddies of New Zealand's Sotheby's International Realty, who's jointly marketing it in Auckland with Scarlet Woods, says overseas interest in the property has been ramping up following New Zealand's lockdown success. And it helps that the yet-to-be-completed super penthouse has a foreign buyer exemption, which means overseas buyers don't need approval of the Overseas Investment Office. And in fact, the exemption applies to all 200 apartments in the 54-storey Pacifica building nearing completion in Commerce Street. Gaddy says it was granted because the developer, Henjay Pacific Limited, had already started construction when the law was introduced and was able to apply for and was granted the transitional exemption significant, uh, certificate, I should say. So Gaddy said global interest spiralled after New Zealand went into lockdown level 3 and Bloomberg ran a story on the build. He says within 72 hours we had more than a dozen other agents and media interest, contract, media interest contacting us. We've had a good number of buyer inquiries. 
So 85% of the apartments have already sold off the plans. A penthouse sold during lockdown was sold for $7 million, and the apartments and penthouses are priced between 800000 and $10 million. Let's talk about the Grand Sanctuary, the massive penthouse, which is 1,200 square metres. An ordinary three-bedroom property is around 120 square metres in many parts of the country. This is 10 of those in size. So occupies the top two floors, provides 360-degree views across the city and harbour. It's described as a grand sanctuary in the listing. The penthouse was not part of the original plan for the building, but the developer decided 18 months ago to in, add it to the mix. So the, the current layout provides for nine bathrooms, five bedrooms, a master suite with vast views, a wine cellar, wine tasting room, media room and gymnasium. However, if you wanted to buy it for slightly less than the $40 million, you can fit it out yourself in the way that you want, which is actually something that's a little unusual for penthouses. So let's keep an eye on that one. That'll be really interesting, and I'd love to see some pictures there. They're probably available on stuff.co.nz, but if not, uh, I guess those can be found through Bloomberg's uh, website or Sotheby's um, International Realty. So maybe have a look at that, see what $40 million in central Auckland may get you. And that's all for today's show from Property Matters. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Greg Watson, and it's been great having your company here on NPR Manawatu People's Radio or where all podcasts are found. Have a great week. We'll see you next If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.